Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the hopefully new and improved Out on a Tangent podcast with the Merrimack Public Library. As always, I'm Sam, and I'm here with Kathy. Hello, everybody. And today we're doing kind of an interesting episode because when you think about podcasting, it's really popular now, and it's sort of like a resurgence of radio culture, which, like, radio culture for those of you who don't know, before television in the 1940s, like even pre precursor to that, like I want to say like maybe the mid to late 1920s, I want to say, radio programming, like shows came into play. If you're in high school, you're going to learn about that in your American history course in high school. I did yes. a whole unit on it. You'll hear a lot about FDR's fireside chats, yep. which got the country through the Great Depression. Yeah, so that's like late, that's like 1929, that's, 1930s. Yeah. Yep. So we're going to be, we found some transcripts of some old radio programs from the 1940s. And it's a series called Five Minute Mysteries, which was an audience participation radio series that was broadcasted on the Mutual Broadcasting System, which no longer exists, <laughs> from 1947 to 1950. So they were like... Really, really short mysteries that uh, the audience had to figure out the answer to during the commercial break. So the commercial break is not like how radio commercial breaks are today. Like where it's like you listen to like a block of music for like 20 minutes and then there's 10 minutes of random pre-recorded ads. These were like embedded into the show usually done by the announcer. And actually, Soap operas were named soap operas because they were sponsored by soap companies. Interesting. So if you ever wondered why soap operas were called soap operas, that's why. So they had, they had one was sponsored by this soap company called Duds, which no longer exists. <laughs> which <laughs> terrible name. It's a horrible name. Um, and there was another one for Tide, obviously, because Tide is like the only soap that people know when they think about laundry detergent. <laughs> And the premise was not like body soap, like laundry soap, because it was marketed toward housewives in the 1940s who were at home doing laundry. So they called it a soap opera to appeal to housewives. I don't well, really like that, but that's the culture. Laundry took an awful long time before those automated washing machines. When were those invented? Like 50s and super. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, they weren't. They were super, super expensive. So you were still like using a hand crank dryer. I mean, yeah. it took hours and hours. So yeah, that's probably... <laughs> so you needed something to listen to. Yeah, so uh, there's that. That's a fun piece of history. Now we're going to get real stupid and, and try and recite these really old 40s scripts. Okay, so the first one we're going to do is called My Pal Patsy. All of the dates for these are unknown, but like I said, it started in 1947 and ended in 1950, so it's somewhere in that ballpark range. Uh, there's too many characters in all of these, so me and Kathy are just going to make it work with uh, our own voices. We're going to show off how bad we are at accents, Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be really, really funny. Yeah, so just We're gonna be prepared for that. Have a good time with it. Okay. Here we go, my pal Patsy. Another five minute mystery. 
our story takes place in Green's Gap, a small town in the Southern Cavern District. Ring, 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 ring. Green's Gap Hospital, Dr. Melville speaking. Doctor, doctor, there's been an accident out at Echo Cavern. Accident? What kind of accident? Two men were exploring and they got lost last night. One's unconscious. You better come quick before he's dead. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I hope you know how to get out to Echo Cavern, Lem. With the job of being town constable and ambulance driver, I reckon I know all there is to know about this county. Ever been in the cavern, Lem? One, Doc Melville, when I was a little boy. Nearly got my hide tanned off by my pa. Echo Cavern is a mighty treacherous place. You mean, it's easy to get lost in it. Not only that, Doc, it's that cavern gas carbine. Mmm, something. You mean, carbon dioxide? Yes, that's it. All of a sudden you run into some of that stuff and before you know it, BING, you're out. Still, people seem to go exploring there. More fools to be. I wouldn't go in them caverns at least till I was not without a dog. A dog? What for? Well, if a dog keels over, then you know the gas is collecting. I'm afraid, Mr. Gaddy, that your friend is dead. Poor Patsy? It was from the gas, wasn't it, Doc? That's what it looks like to me. Why'd you go in that cavern anyway? Patsy asked me to. He never seen a cave before. How far did you go in? Well, it didn't seem very far, but all of a sudden we lost our way. Where was that? Well, how do I know whereabouts where it was? We tried to trace our way back, but it was no use. Patsy started to get scared. It's kind of funny to see a big guy like that get scared. Yes, he is rather big, isn't he? Yes, six foot four. The mob used to call us Mutt and Jeff. And then what happened? Well, I was a little scared myself, but we stuck together. You know, walking in the dark with only my flash from the car. All of a sudden, Pat's keeled over. From the gas? Yeah, that's what I figured. His head hit on a rock, and I guess that just about finished him off. I suppose you reckon yourself pretty lucky, mister. Yeah, sure. I figure it's because I'm only five foot three that I got out of there alive. The gas must have been just about a foot over my head. Yeah, and what do you think about that, Doc Melville? I think you better arrest Mr. Gaddy for the murder of his friend, Patsy. What was the flaw in Gaddy's story? Do you know it? In a moment, we'll hear from Lem and Dr. Melville. And now let's see whether you're as observant as Lem and the doctor. 
Hey, Cooper, just put my hands down. They're tired. When you're in Green Cap's jail, not before. Uh, I don't get it. It was a good story. I still can't figure out how you found out. Lem tells me they used to take dogs into the cavern because the gas is heavier than air. It collects on the floor. If you really met gas, you would have keeled over first, before your pal Patsy. Well, what do you know? I tell nowadays in this murder racket you need a college education. That was so weird. <laughs> so there's a little taste of that, guys. It's, that one was pretty easy. Yeah, it's, um, like I said, they're five-minute mysteries, so the, the plot lines are not very uh, extreme. <laughs> it was just sort of abruptly ended to make it fit in that short time span. I love it. Okay, so now we're going to do uh, The Murder of Mrs. Brooks. And guys, you're going to have to excuse the uh, terrible sound effects because it's just me running them from my phone. Okay. The murder of Mrs. Brooks. Another five-minute mystery. See if you can solve the case before the end of the program. <laughs> it says interior perspective of auto continues until stop. I don't know what that means. It means that it's happening inside a car. Okay. Well, Alice, one more block and you'll behold the Brooks household. Two whole years, Jim. It doesn't seem possible it's been so long. You and Dorothy married and with a place of your own. Ah, uh, that's true, all right. Only... Too bad you haven't taken advantage of the old Brooks hospitality sooner. Well, I'm here now, and I intend on having a perfectly wonderful time. The car stops. The car door opens, as Jim says. Now here we are. Slam the car door closes. And we begin to walk. Wait, I think I got footsteps. I do. You have footsteps? Oh, what a charming place this is. Dorothy's probably on needles and pins waiting for me to get you here. Darling, it's Jim. Oh, no, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> Darling, it's Jim. Here's Alice. Jim, look. What? Where? There on the living room floor. It's Dorothy. Dead. Mr. Brooks, I'm afraid you and Ms. Mannon will have to submit to some routine questions. I'll be happy to help in any way I can, Inspector. Thank you, Ms. Mannon. Now, Mr. Brooks, while we're waiting for some information I phoned for, I want you to tell me exactly what happened this morning. There's nothing much to tell. Both my wife and I were quite excited, expecting Alice, that is, Ms. Manning here, to visit us from Chicago. 
I was to wait until she called me at the office. And you were there all morning? Yes, until Miss Manning's train arrived and we came out here. I had written Mrs. Brooks to tell her that I would call Jim at the office as soon as I arrived. The train was an hour late. Maybe if it had been here earlier, it may have prevented this. Hmm. Well, that remains to be seen. Apparently, Mrs. Brooks was sitting here, in this chair, putting on red polish on her fingernails when she was shot from behind. The polish has spilled all over the carpet, and she was still holding the tiny brush in her hand. She must have recognized her attacker, and since she did not die instantly, she printed these three initials here on the floor with the polish. D-O-C. D-O-C? I wish we could tell whose initials she was trying to reveal. You sure you don't know anyone whose name would fit that? Positive. I can't. <gasps> oh. Oh. Miss Manning, can you think of somebody with those initials? Well, I... I D-O-C spells Doc, and it's Mr. Brooks's nickname. Why, it can't be. Yes, Mr. Brooks. I haven't been called Doc for over two years. It was a nickname I picked up in school. My wife didn't like the name and never used it. No one in New York even knows me by Doc. You've got to believe me, Inspector. It's the truth. Hmm. Well, that we'll see. Just a minute. Hello? Yes, Grady? Yes? I see. Well, it sewed up anyway. Thanks. Click. <laughs> well, you both will be happy to know our little murder is solved. Oh, then it wasn't Doc after all? No, Miss Manning. It wasn't Doc. I'm arresting you, Miss Manning, for the murder of Dorothy Brooks. Why did the inspector arrest Miss Manning for the murder of Mrs. Brooks? In a moment, we'll hear. But first, this? I feel like I could put a book talk here. <laughs> And now, back to our story. How dare you arrest me? I was still on the train. Your train wasn't late, Miss Manning. That phone call just verified the fact. You came out here, murdered Mrs. Brooks, returned to the station and called Mr. Brooks to pick you up. That wasn't what really gave you away, though, Miss Manning. Too bad you didn't know Mr. Brooks was no longer called Doc when you printed those letters on the carpet. The next time you leave a name as a clue to throw suspicion, you'd better get the name right. But of course, there won't be a next time, will there, Miss Manning? Join us again next time for another chance to solve a five-minute mystery. Well, there was that one. <laughs> it reminds me so much of the book I'm reading right now which is from our teen collection, obviously, because I only read uh, YA books. So it's a suspense book called The Murder Game. Okay. And bear with me. I promise it'll, it'll remind you of, of what we just read in a minute. 
So four prep school students from Connecticut sneak out into the woods to like party a little bit, whatever. While they're out there, their dean of students' ex-wife gets murdered. And, and she was having an affair, so they like overhear her getting murdered. And then the protagonist's best friend's scarf turns out to be the murder weapon. So they're trying to solve this mystery so that they can exonerate their friend who has been arrested and like kicked out of school, whatever. Right. And it's like affair central. Like she has been having affairs with people on faculty. She's been having affairs with students. She, like it's just a mess. And they're like uncovering her very sticky social life. And as we were reading that one, I was like, Oh, like there's an affair here. They didn't dig into it, which I guess is it's kind of par for the course with these. They don't yeah, they're so short they don't give you any backstory. This like I imagine this is so difficult to write too, because I'm thinking about they produce one of these every day. Yeah, I mean that's like that's so much writing work to like figure out how to make them different. First of all, yeah. Because these are all vastly different. But with no visual clues, mm -hmm. you know, like in a detective mystery that you watch on TV, like you can plant something in the background for people to see. Yeah. But like to, to sneak stuff in that's different enough for people not to get bored. But then also like obvious enough for them to pick it up only hearing it once. Like they can't rewind. Yeah. They can't like... It's very tricky writing, I would say. And they had to do live sound effects, because there was no, like, soundboards back then. So yeah. they had people, like... This is similar to what people do now for movie sound effects. If you didn't know, most movie sound effects are performed live after the movie is filmed. There's, like, a whole job of this one person... Like, one person or a couple of people to use random objects to make, like, better sounds in movies than what's actually there. Like, I saw one where... In order to get a really good slap effect, somebody slapped a table with a fish. <laughs> like, it was so strange, but it worked really well for whatever. I forget what movie it was, but it was really funny. <laughs> and I know, like, in old Gene Kelly movies, they would sometimes, like, like his character or, like, a Fre like Fred Astaire's character, whoever, would, like, be a radio announcer, yeah. and you would get these little, like, or, like, on the Dick Van Dyke show. Mm -hmm. And they're, like, they have these, like, little miniature doors that they're slamming on their desk yeah. to, like, make the slamming noises. And Yeah, because it's, like, as we were reading that one, I was, like, when they were saying she got shot, I should have uh, done that. <laughs> but I didn't, it, it's not, I have, you have to be quick about it. And it's, like, I'm acting, I'm looking at the tech for the podcast. I mean, I'm not acting, I'm reading. But uh, <laughs> I don't think we should call this acting. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's like how this is so impressive to me how quick these people can be with all of this. Now that we've gone on that journey, let me pull up the theme for our very last episode, which is death calls at dinner. Okay. Here we go, death calls at dinner. Oh, there's an ad. 
lovely. <laughs> Anybody just like a real radio show? Here's a word from our sponsors, Extra Gum. This podcast is not sponsored by Extra Gum, nor is it sponsored by anything. I don't think anyone would pay us to make this. Well, technically we are getting paid to make this. Yeah. But by well, our we own are, volition. We, we get wages. But no, I don't, even if someone wanted to sponsor us, I don't think we could accept because we are, the library is not for profit. Well, we could be sponsored by the Friends of the Library. That's true. So that's there's true. that. We are sponsored by our own collection because that's really what we Yeah, we're sponsored by the Merrimack week. Public Library Teen Collection. Come on down and read a bunch of books. Okay. Okay, so here we go. Death Calls at Dinner. Oh, I muted my phone. <laughs> Professional podcasting. <laughs> Another five-minute mystery. Oh, no. An anniversary party is going on at the Brown household around the corner. One of the guests, George Taylor, pauses while eating his dessert, saying, Mmm, best lemon pie I've ever tasted, Mary. Oh, really? I wish my wife could do as well. Hey, it doesn't look like, it doesn't look as if Sam is appreciating it much, though. Goodness, dear. Is not cooking that bad? Sam, your head is practically in your plate. I guess he's fallen asleep, everyone. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Sam! Sam, sit up! Sam, it's dreadful. I'd better shake him. Sam! Sam! Great guns! He's dead! It's a really cheerful sound effect for someone dying. That's the best one wah, I can find. <laughs> now we're at the party. How do you do? I'm Sergeant Barker, the homicide division, and this is one of my boys, Mike Grady. Where's the body? In the dining room at the table. We didn't move him. Hmm, you might as well be comfortable, everybody. This will take just a little while. Hmm, dead all right. Peaceful, too. Who's this is Sam Brown? I am. You mind telling me what happened? I guess not. I'm so shocked. I don't know where to begin or what to tell you. Well, you might as well begin by telling me what you served for dinner. Well... Uh, we had the soup first. Soup? What kind? Mushroom. And then roast chicken, green peas, mashed potatoes, and I served him coffee. But I don't see how this could mean anything. Just routine, Mrs. Brown. Did Mr. Brown eat everything? Yes, he did. He seemed to fall asleep over his coffee. Um. And when I tried to wake him, I found he's had a heart attack. Yeah, that will be all for a few minutes, Mrs. Brown. We want to take a look around. Ah, notice anything about this table, Mike? No, Chief. Can't say that I do. Neither do I. Let's look in this kitchen. An, or an orderly person, isn't she? Stack dishes after each course. 
Yes. And here's the silverware over here. Ah, look. Look, Chief. One of these soup spoons has turned black. Black? Let me see it. The only spoon that's tarnished, too. Well, I was beginning to think it was a heart attack or a perfect murder. But this silver, spoon, this silver soup spoon is evidence enough. Er, Mrs. Brown? Yes, Sergeant Barker? I'm sorry to interrupt your little party, Mrs. Brown, but I'm sure your guests won't mind. Uh, I don't understand. You will, Mrs. Brown. You will. You see, you're under arrest for the murder of your husband. Sergeant Barker, how do you know it was homicide? Well, Mrs. Brown took careful pains to wash the soup pans and the soup dishes before she served the rest of the meal. Ah, uh, yes, I can see that. But she forgot one thing, to wash the silver soup spoons. What she didn't realize was that an hour later, by the end of dinner, the spoon her husband had used to eat his toadstool soup would give her away. She didn't know that toadstools make silver turn black. Mrs. Brown almost committed the perfect murder, but she forgot to wash one spoon. I'm unimpressed by that one. That one was bad. <laughs> but murder via mushroom does remind me of a movie that stars Norman Reedus, like a young Norman Reedus and Alan Rickman. Okay. And did you talk about this movie on the podcast already? Possibly. Because I remember you talking about a, a Norman Reedus, Alan Rickman movie in the yes. Harry Potter episode. Uh, Dark Harbors, something Harbors. It's great. Still, go find it if you haven't watched it. What are you waiting for? Um, so good. But murderous mushrooms also come into play in that. But no silver spoons. I feel like some of them, like... I'm not a 1940s housewife. Maybe I would know all about poisonous mushrooms if I was a 1940s housewife. Yeah, you know, where did she... I mean, I guess she can go out in the woods, but... Well, like, how many people, like, know that that would make the silver tarnish? Well, she, they could go to the library and get a book about it. I mean, I guess that's true. It just seems like, how do you expect your audience to solve it? Was this common knowledge in the 40s? Oh, right. Maybe. I don't think, I think most people had, like, silver silverware back then. Yeah. So maybe there was, it was common knowledge that certain Not things... to poison your dinner guests because it's going to tarnish the silver? Yeah, I guess. Seems like poor manners anyway. Well, uh-huh. <laughs> I mean... Far be it from me to judge a 40s housewife if she wanted to murder all her dinner guests. I would, do we have any, like, do we have any, like, campy 1940s mysteries in the collection? Um, probably in the building, yes. I'm trying to think. We have a few historical fiction books that take place in the 40s. Yeah. But I'm not sure how much they're really, like, campy mysteries. Yeah. I think most of them are, like, World War II spy. Okay. Spy books or, like. Yeah, like more, more that field than like the, than the yeah than this. The campy like June Cleaver solves a murder. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm into. Like these are very much like dumb. <laughs> I think what was your favorite one? Um, I liked 
the murder of Mrs. Brooks because I had a lot of fun doing that terrible policeman accent. <laughs> I liked the first one. I think we kind of, I mean, if I doubt any of our listeners are from a southern state or know someone from a southern state, apologies for the very campy accent. Yes, we're just having fun. We mean no offense. We know that our accents are terrible and people don't actually talk like that. Well, maybe like in a 1940s cartoon they would have talked like that. Yeah, there is like that that particular announcer voice mm-hmm. that they had in like the 40s and 50s yeah. where they're like, look at this thing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, kid, you want to read the Gazette? Like, stuff like that. Yeah, so if you guys are interested in his and not his well historical fiction too, but I meant to say mystery. We have a whole section up in teen called suspense. And some of those are those all not they're not all mysteries, but they all have that like sort of element to them. I yeah, would say. they're all like thrillers. So I think most thrillers have like a mystery element. Yeah. Whether it's like oh crap, I have to solve this thing or else I'm gonna be killed. Mm-hmm. Or, like, my best friend has been arrested and I have to solve the murder. Or, But we also have a number of lighter mysteries that are not so likely to cause, like, you to panic while you're reading. Um, our general fiction also has, like, the lighter mysteries. Do we have, like, stickers labeling which books are mysteries? We don't. I know that some of them, some that was a thing that the library used to do. Yeah, they used to do that in the children's collection. And there's still some... In children that have that little sticker <laughs> Yeah, on the them. mystery sticker. Yeah, uh, if you want to read, like, A to Z mysteries, that's very light and probably very yep. easy to solve if you're over the yeah, age of it's, 10. Yeah, it is essentially, like, a five-minute mystery because the books are so short. Yeah, so... Yeah, like, if you're reading them as an adult. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if you are a teen or an adult or whatever, you can read children's books. There's no rules. Yeah, we highly encourage it because, like, good content is good content. And sometimes you just need... A break, like you need some fluff. Yeah, I mean, I'm in. And college. there's nothing wrong with that. I'm in college. The only thing I can stomach that's not textbook reading is like children's graphic novels. Hence, why I run graphic novel club. But yeah, it's it's hard. Like especially, I remember in high school, like working and being in like eight classes at the same time. Like that's overwhelming. Yeah. And I never wanted to read anything because I just had so much to do. So, if you want to read, like, something fun, you can come down here. Or you can find, you know, there's certainly, like, lighter things and, like, shorter things up in teen if you'd rather go up there. Yep. And I would, we have a number of books that are, like, anthologies of short stories. And I always like those when I have a heavy workload. I'm reading one of those right now. (laughs) You can pick it up, read 30 pages, and then put it down and, like, put it down for a week. And it doesn't matter. You're not going to lose the plot. I love it. I'm reading one right now. Let's flash back to the Twilight episode called Vampires <laughs> Never Get Old. It's uh, a bunch of authors, not, uh, who wrote Twilight? Stephanie not Meyer? Not Stephanie Meyer. Not Stephanie Meyer, who wrote, like, vampire romance short stories. And I had never, like we said in the Twilight episode, I had no experience with vampire romance. And I can't tell if I like it or not, but um, it's interesting. I think we're going to do... In October, we're going to do a bunch about monsters and, like, yes. off different authors' depictions of monsters. So we'll see. I'll yeah, bring I, that one back up then. Yeah, I really need to check that out after you return it because that sounds like it's right up my alley. Oh, yeah, it's great. 
So uh, we don't know what's going to be on next time. No, haven't figured it out yet. But It'll we, be something fun. We might get into the spooky spirit because it's close to spooky season. Who knows? All spooky season, we're going to be doing spooky stuff. So <laughs> get ready for that, everybody. And thank goodness we fixed our technical issue because this is the yeah. first episode in like three weeks. Yes, we were gone for an extra week or two trying to fix the technical delays that we talked about last time. Because last episode was kind of a hot mess express, but we figured it out. But we've figured it out and we are back. All right. Bye, everybody.